Welcome to Digital Yoma, a podcast about living a symbolic life in a technological age. Man cannot stand a meaningless life. I'm Jason Smith, Jungian analyst and author of Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life. And in this episode, we discuss how we can know and express what Carl Jung called the unique and unrepeatable experience that we are. It's the human soul. That's the very treasure. The whole of yourself is certainly an irrational entity. But this is just precisely yourself, which is meant to live as a unique and unrepeatable experience. Thus, whatever you find in your given disposition is a factor of life which must be taken into careful consideration. Now it could be said that everything that we've discussed so far in this podcast falls under the category of the non-rational. We've talked about the soul, about symbols, having a religious outlook, listening with the heart, and establishing a relationship with the infinite. And all of these proceed by means of something other than the working of our rational faculties or our conceptual categories. And this is one of the great challenges in speaking about the symbolic life. Because the thing we're speaking about is something, ultimately, that can't be spoken. And so we have to learn to tolerate the experience of not having precise definitions, clear answers, or fixed concepts. Instead, we have to proceed in a manner of speaking by way of suggestion, using metaphor and image to allude to experiences and realities that are ineffable and unnameable. Now, the word that Jung uses in the quote with which we started is irrational, which is a word that has taken on the connotation of something that is unreasonable, illogical, or overly emotional. And this is unfortunate because it limits what this word can indicate and it gives it a merely pejorative implication, suggesting something that is easily and summarily dismissed. 
When Jung uses the word, however, he means something closer to how it's used in mathematics in the case of irrational numbers, which are those numbers that can't be expressed by a simple ratio or relationship between two whole numbers. Irrational numbers are numbers like pi that have an infinite series of digits after the decimal point. In other words, they are unique and unrepeatable and can't be reduced to a simple equation. And because the word irrational conjures up the associations of being emotional and even sometimes crazy, I find it better to use the term non-rational. Whichever term we use, though, it's important not to make the mistake of thinking of the non-rational as a failure to be rational, as somehow being less than or prior to the rational. In fact, we might even assert that the opposite is true. The non-rational is that which the rational mind is not competent to handle. It's that which exceeds the power of the rational. And what is non-rational is just that which is unique and unrepeatable. It cannot be directly compared to anything else. It has its own inherent dignity. Just so, says Jung, is every human being. And he's not alone in this assessment. The novelist Hermann Hesse wrote that each person represents the unique, the very special and always significant and remarkable point at which the world's phenomena intersect. Only once in this way, and never again. So what does it imply then? When Jung makes his statement that the whole of yourself is certainly an irrational entity. Well, for starters, he's not saying that there is one right way to be. He's not offering some panacea in the form of, say, the ten ways to be the happiest, the, the most productive, the highest achiever, the best conversationalist, or what have you. What Jung is suggesting here is that the primary task of human development is not to engage in some kind of behavioral training program, but first of all, to get to know ourselves, to come into relationship with who and what we actually are to understand the unique and unrepeatable experience that we are in order that it might be able to live. 
And because that self that we are is an irrational entity, a merely rational approach cannot help us with this task. Now, the move of the rational, according to Abraham Joshua Heschel, is to adapt the world to our concepts, to make it conform to the categories of our mind. And the move of the non-rational, on the other hand, for which Heschel uses the term wonder, is to adapt ourselves to the world, to that which is. Through the rational, we can think about reality. Through the non-rational, we can experience reality. And so if we apply this to the relationship we have with our own selves, the question that arises is, do we force ourselves to align with our ideas or others' ideas of how we should be? Or do we try to bring our awareness into alignment with who we already are? So, we might ask, why are you, you? What is this you that you are, and how did it come about? Why does, for instance, one person respond with pleasure to color, another to music, and another to ideas? And why is one more at home in a library full of books while someone else comes alive amidst the glories of nature? Solitude saves one soul while company nurtures another. In other words, the important question to ask is, what is it that brings us alive. Or, to put it another way, what is already alive in us that needs our care and attention? And thus, when Jung says, whatever you find in your given disposition is a factor of life which must be taken into careful consideration, He's suggesting that we are not the makers of ourselves, but rather the discoverers. And just to be clear, I'm not suggesting here a program of self-indulgence. The attitude here is not whatever I want goes, or if it feels good, do it. The necessary attitude, we might say, is more religious in nature, in the sense that it is a recognition of the fact that we are, as both Hesse and Jung suggest, a unique unfolding of life, and that our temperament and talents are gifts to be tended, not resources to be exploited. 
And the Jungian analyst D. Stevenson Bond puts it this way. The mystery of the psyche is that we are haunted not by what we want out of life, but by what life wants out of us. And this requires an openness and a humility, an attitude, says Jung, of humble self-acceptance, partly because what we discover may not be the same as what we think we want. And because we're used to the certainties of rational modes of operating, the non-rational approach is so unfamiliar that it can leave us feeling disoriented and doubtful, maybe even for a time helpless. Strange as it may seem, these experiences can be indications that we're on the right track. And we can find this type of experience represented in fairy tales by a common figure who's often given the name Dumbling or Blockhead. And as the name suggests, this is a character that is assumed to be useless and stupid, but who, in actual fact, turns out to have access to the hidden and unexpected wisdom of the non-rational domain. So here's the first section of a fairy tale called The Three Feathers, which features this important character. Once upon a time, there was a king who had three sons. Two of them were bold and decisive, but the third was a simpleton, and having nothing to say for himself, was called Dumbling. When the king became old and weak, and thought his end was approaching, he knew not which of his sons to appoint to succeed him. So he said to them, Go out upon your travels, and whoever brings me back the finest carpet shall be king at my death. And then, to prevent their quarreling, he led them out before his castle, and blowing three feathers into the air, said, As they fly, so shall you go. One feather flew to the east, another towards the west. But the third went in a straight direction and soon fell to the ground. So one brother went right, another left, laughing at poor Dumbling, who had to remain where the third feather had fallen. Dumbling sat down and was sad at heart. But presently, he remarked that near the feather, there was a trap door. He raised it and finding steps, descended below the ground.
If one doesn't understand a person, wrote Jung, one tends to regard him as a fool. This is no less true in regard to aspects of our own psyche as it is to other people. Those things we don't understand in ourselves, which don't fit in with our ruling self-image, or that somehow separate us from our conformity with our group, are often kept buried and hidden from the world, lest we be seen as odd or different or foolish. And it's this, in part, that the figure of the dumbling represents. But it's more than just this. Dumbling gives us an image of the means by which we can come into connection with what remains buried. In the story, the king blows three feathers. One flies east and is followed by one of the brothers. The second flies west and is followed by the other brother. And the third simply drops to the ground. That is Dumbling's feather. And on the surface, this seems to be an unlucky situation. It's something unremarkable, uninteresting, dull. Dumbling's feather does not lead anywhere exciting or exotic. It just falls in the dirt. And what this points to is that the development of our full potential begins with a simple and humble tuning into that which is. It doesn't require clever plans or programs of self-improvement, but rather an awareness of what is already here in the ground of our own being. Marie-Louise von Franz was a close associate of Carl Jung. And speaking of this very fairy tale, she makes this remark. She says, Very often we look God knows where for the solution to our problem and do not see that it is right in front of our noses. We are not humble enough to look downward, but stick our noses up in the air. But Dumbling is humble enough to look down. In fact, he sits down in the dirt, and that is when he discovers that right in that place where he already lives, there is a door that leads into the depths. And there, it turns out, he will encounter helpful beings who give him everything he needs. And this will happen several times throughout the story until he eventually becomes king and brings renewal to the whole kingdom. Now the helpful beings that live in our own depths 
are just those non-rational factors of life that Jung talks about. And they're such things as intuition, imagination, the acceptance of our authentic feelings, the acknowledgement of our natural likes and dislikes, and our sense of what calls to us. We often neglect these aspects of our experience because they do not speak to us in the same way that our thinking and planning rational mind does. They're like Dumbling, who the story tells us has nothing to say for himself. And as the brothers and the king treat Dumbling, so we tend to treat those more subtle voices within us. But if we can learn to tune into them and trust them more, they can often give us just what we need or point us in the direction of the right road. And so it's right here, in this humble soil, the ground right in front of our noses, the self that we are, that we come to know the inherent dignity of our unique and unrepeatable self, what Heschel calls the quiet eminence of our being. And it's essential that we take ourselves seriously in this way, teaches Raymond Panikkar. Somewhere deep within, he suggests, we sense that there is something entrusted to us in the very fact of our living, which is irreplaceable. It's something that wants to grow and to be, but which can be lost if it's not nurtured. I am not a spare part which can be exchanged, he writes, implying, of course, that the same is true for all of us. And he follows this statement with one that I believe is the key takeaway for all of this. And it's a statement that could be a motto for the importance and sacredness of the irrational entity that is ourself, as well as a warning about just how much is at stake. And he says this, he says, if I do not enact what I am, no one else will. It's that important. If I do not enact what I am, no one else will. And the good news is that we only need to look down at the ground at our feet to know where we need to begin. Until next time.
You'll find information in the show notes for all the sources used in this week's episode, as well as links to connect with me on social media. Let's make this a conversation. If you have questions about anything you heard in the episode or that you'd like me to address in a future episode, send them to me on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag DigitalYulk. Finally, if you want a deeper dive into the kind of material explored in this podcast, please check out my book, Religious But Not Religious, Living a Symbolic Life, available now from Chiron Publications. Thanks for listening, and take good care.